You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for his glory. So it is um, my privilege this morning to be bringing the third installment in our Invited Teaching Series where over the past two weeks we've been looking at how there's a place for everyone at God's table. Uh, now before I, I do that, I'd really uh, like to pray and just commit this message to the, to the Lord and hopefully it will be as impactful on your lives as it has been on mine. So let me pray with us right now. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to come and sit in your presence and to be able to be taught by you, Holy Spirit. We pray now that you'll open the eyes of our understanding and we ask that you let revelation knowledge flow freely to, to your people. Teach us, Holy Spirit, because you promised that you would and lead us into all truth. We give you thanks for what you're about to do and what we're about to receive. And we honor you and give you praise and glory for being able to sit at your table this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. And church said, okay, now, here we go. Now, um, in, I'm sure most of you have heard the saying, uh, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Now, the literal meaning of, of the saying is that the perception of beauty is subjective. People can have different opinions on what is beautiful. So what one person perceives as flawless and captivating might be ordinary or unappealing to another. But we don't see with our eyes. Uh, we actually see with our brains. And it takes time for the world to arrive there. Uh, uh, once light hits the retinas at the back of the, our eyeballs, it's converted into an electrical signal that has to travel to the visual processing system at the back of our brains. And from there, the, the signal travels forward through our brains, constructing what we see and creating our perception of it. So perception is the interpretation your brain makes based on what you see, hear, smell, feel, taste, and the information that is already stored within your memory. Perception is important because it helps you and I to understand the world around us. Everyone in the room, as well as those watching uh, via YouTube are all looking, hopefully, listening to me this morning. And even though you are all in the same room looking and listening to me, and even those who are watching the service remotely, none of you are seeing or hearing me the same way. Isn't that interesting? You could, we can all be in the same room, and you can all be listening and hearing and looking at me, but you're all seeing me very differently from the person sitting right next to you. That's because the brain is what makes you look, not your eyes. We've all been influenced by the social, cultural, and religious environments that we have been exposed to, which have helped to shape our perceptions of ourselves and of one another. Now, some of the perceptions and ideas that we have grown up believing to be true about things and people, as we have gone older and have become more informed, those early perceptions have proven false. And unfortunately, history is littered with examples of erroneous perceptions and ideologies. For example, a number of, uh, of 18th century political and intellectual leaders began publicly to assert that Africans were naturally inferior and that they were indeed best suited for slavery. Britain was among other several European countries that created a hierarchy with white Europeans at the top and Africans and Asians at the bottom. Racism became embedded into the nation's structure of power, culture, education and identity. People from Africa, the Caribbean, and Asia were encouraged by government to come to England, but on arrival 
here, they often faced racism and discrimination, which was not illegal in Britain until 1965. Now, where did such perceptions come from, you ask? Well, you didn't ask, but I'm asking. Where do those perceptions come from? Now, I want to give, I think, an insight into possibly where it originates from by uh, quoting a passage which will come on the screen, and it's taken from 2 Corinthians 2, 10 uh, 10 and 11, where uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and and he writes about some kind of judicial discipline that was going on within the congregation at Corinth at the time. And now Paul is urging that since the man um, had repented, it's time for a change of attitude towards him. So this is the context of this verse, but I think it gives us some insight as to when, where some of the perceptions that I've been speaking about come from. And it says this, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his schemes. The word translated schemes in this verse comes from a Greek word, noema, and that word means perception, a mental perception or thought, um, specifically an evil purpose. From the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 3, we see how Satan sought to pervert pervert humanity's perspective of God, ourselves and the world around us. Um, It says in Genesis 3, verses 47, after uh, he'd asked the woman, uh, about, tell me about this tree. And she says, well, the Lord says that we should not eat of it, neither touch it, lest we die. And the enemy contradicted God and spoke and said, that's not true. And he said these words, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took it some of it and ate it and she gave also some to her husband who was with her and he ate it then the eyes of both of them were opened and then they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves do you see how this works before i'm certain that in the time that the Adam and Eve were wandering through the garden, enjoying the the blessing of that environment. They walked past that tree every day. It, It was exactly how God said it was, until they got a different perspective given to them by the enemy. And he said, it's not that. It's not what God said about it. It's gonna, it's gonna, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the moment he spoke those words, their perception changed. And the scripture says, when she saw the tree, the tree that she always saw, but now she was seeing it from a different point of view. That's the, that's the power of words. The power of words to change what we see and how we see it. So perception is not in the eye, it's in the mind. So it's important who you're listening to. Because who you listen to can change what you see and how you see it. Does that make sense? So there are a few things that you can confidently say that you know about me, even if you have ne- we have never personally met or had a conversation. And these things that you know about me, you know by observation alone. Uh, number one, I am a man. Agreed? Thank God, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Secondly, uh, I'm a black man. 
Ah, great. So far, so good. I'm not that tall. Okay, all right. Not so loud on that one. And, and I speak English. Sometimes Jamaican patois, if he pushed me enough, right? And, there, but there are some, and there's some other things about me that you would also be able to conclude with a reasonable amount of accuracy, again, just by observation alone. I can sing a little. You agree? I love people. I love people, especially children and babies. You know that. Uh, once a baby is born, it's, I'm like a magnet to them. I love them. And I love Jesus. Of that, there can be no doubt. Um, but then there are other things about me that you can only really know if you take the time to speak to me, to listen as I share with you things about myself that cannot be discerned from a distance. Let me share a few of those things with you now. I love to talk, which is handy because that's what I'm up here to do today. Right? I, I'm, I'm, I am an Arsenal FC football fan. No, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. Uh, we're at the top of the league right now, so just be calm, all right? Yeah, I will. Uh, I love chocolate, uh, not, not, not the cheap stuff. So if you're thinking about getting me some, please make sure it's quality. Start a Ferrero Rocher and work your way up from there, okay? I, I also love tea, uh, but there is an issue because there is a way that you need to make tea for me. And unfortunately, the staff here don't want to get involved in that because it's a whole process. So if you want to know how to make tea for me, the perfect way, I will teach you if you come and speak with me afterwards, okay? I've, I've been called a food snob by, by some. I'm not quite sure exactly why that is. Well, maybe I do a little. Uh, I think it's because I can be quite direct about the things that I want to eat and the things that I would rather not eat, especially if I've been invited around for dinner and I've been asked if there's anything that I, do, I particularly do not like. So for me, personally, jacket potatoes are a side dish and not a main meal. <laughs> and I know for my, my British family and loved ones in the room, you may not agree with me, but I, although I'm an Englishman, I am, I've been brought up in an Afro-Caribbean background and I'm not a vegetarian, God bless them, all right? I, 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 need, I need some meat on my plate, right? All right? Anyone agree with me? Okay, all right. I've got a few people that agree. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Now, um, believe it or not, I used to be a very picky eater, yeah? And would, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you, and, and used to be, and, and would only really eat West Indian food because that was what I was brought up eating, and everything else looked somewhat strange and unappealing to my stomach. And as I got older, uh, due to my work, I would travel to various countries, and of course, I wouldn't be able to find Jamaican food in places like Finland, Sweden, Iceland, or Poland, right? So I had a choice. I, I could either have to fast for the duration of my trip, which sometimes lasted weeks, or try something different and live, right? It turns out that I quite like Polish food, yeah? And I quite like Italian, French, English, Chinese, Indian, you get the point. The reason why I was able to embrace those things is because I was forced into a situation where I had to eat to live. And I had to try different cultures, different foods, in order to experience those different things, I had to be open. Does that make sense? So the title of this week's message is A Place at the Table. And I will be primarily speaking from the book of Acts, chapter 10, where the Apostle Peter also found himself in a similar dilemma. But let me first bring some historical context before I read a few verses for you. In his infancy, the early church was almost 100% Jewish. 
that would not surprise us. The people whom God inspired to write the books of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, had all been Jews. The promised Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, was Jewish. Though it's, uh, it is said that people from every nation under heaven in Acts 2 were among the 3,000 people converted on the day of Pentecost, they were obviously not Gentile or non-Jews because s- since they were all in Jerusalem to celebrate a distinctly Jewish re- religious festival. Not surprisingly, therefore, the very first believers in Jesus assumed that to be fully eligible for God's blessings, a person had to observe Jewish ceremonial rituals. Now, Jewish law tries to separate Jews from Gentiles in order to prevent Jews from adopting idolatrous behaviors, and this extended to dietary laws which limited social interactions. Now, in Judaism, chosenness is a belief that the Jews, via uh, descent from the ancient Israelites, are the chosen people, i.e. selected to be in covenant with God. Now, in the Western mind, the word chosen is often um, equated to preferred, uh, when we go out, for example, for some ice cream, we choose flavors like, that we like best. When we choose something, it me- often means that we prefer one thing over another. In con- contrast, uh, um, the biblical description will often refer to a subject's function of purpose. Yeah? So uh, God is not choosing uh, someone because he's preferring them. It's cho- he's choosing them based upon the purpose that they were called to do. All right? So this is not about preference, it's about purpose. Say that with me. It's not about preference, it's about purpose. Yeah. Now, although Jewish people refer to themselves as God's chosen people, they do not believe that God chose the Jews because of an inherent superiority. Now, some of their food laws, uh, known as kashrut, which just seems, simply means fitness, uh, these rules are contained within the, the, the mitzvah, the mitzvah is a commandment, mainly in the books of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, following them Following these uh, dietary laws shows obedience and self-control. Um, now, here's a picture of some of the foods which are allowed, which is called kosher, and those which are not allowed, uh, called trefa. All right? So those who are allowed kosher, some of those foods you can see, and some of those are not permitted. Land animals must have closed and split hooves and must chew the cud, meaning they must eat grass. Seafood must have fins and scales. Eating shellfish is not allowed. It is forbidden to eat birds of prey. Only clean animals, meaning birds that do not eat other animals, must, can be eaten. Poultry is allowed. Meat and dairy cannot be eaten together. As it, as it, it says in the Torah, do not boil a kid in its mother's milk, Exodus 23:19. So Jews who follow the di- these dietary rules cannot eat cheeseburgers, for example. Of, yeah, believe that. Uh, McDonald's is losing out. Often this rule is extended further so that people wait up to six hours after eating meat before they eat dairy. So uh, let me just give you, uh, I gave you that context because it was important before we dive into this passage in um, Acts, Acts chapter 10 as to why this is important. Now, in Acts 10, um, uh, is, is the chapter is about Peter and his interactions with Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion of the Italian band, uh, and like the author of Acts, Luke, the author of Acts, pardon me, tells us that he was a God-fearing man. Although not a Jew and not circumcised, he practiced some Jewish traditions along with his household. He renounced idolatry and prayed to God. He was visited by an angel of God during his prayers and was told to look for Simon Peter, who would tell him what God wanted him to do. So Cornelius sent two of his servants along with one of his most trusted soldiers to Joppa to find Peter. And, and I'll pick up the story here from verse 9. So if you turn to Acts 10 and, and follow me in your Bibles, it's not going to come on the screen, but I'll just read for you 
so we can get through this passage a little quicker. So it, from verses 9 through 20, this is what it says. And about noon the following day, as they, those who, uh, that Cornelius sent, were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice had told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken up back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found uh, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, these uh, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, uh, Peter obeyed. Um, went downstairs, met with these uh, men that God had instructed him to meet with, and went with them. And he, they went, arrived at Cornelius' Cordelius, house, and Cornelius had gathered a few of his friends and, um, with him. And when Cordelius, Cornelius saw Peter, he fell at his feet, uh, and, and Peter told him, no, rise up, I am a man like you, I, uh, you don't worship me, okay? And so uh, he, uh, Cornelius then began to speak and share with Peter all the things that had happened, you know, the fact that he, you know, it followed uh, the faith and that he was praying and a vision came. And, um, and, and as, a result of God, as a result of that, I sent men to get you and uh, for you to bring me what it is that the Lord had put on your heart for me and my household. So when Peter heard this, um, he said, um, Peter made this following statement in Acts 10, verse 34 to 35. It says, then Peter began to speak. I, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. God does not have favorites. I'll let that one settle a little second. Now, I know... It feels like you're his favorite. Uh, it does. Uh, um, and so it does to me. I feel like I'm God's favorite. But it, just because I feel like I'm his favorite doesn't mean that I am his favorite. Because God makes everyone feel that way. Oh, this is, this is, this is so beautiful. This is such a, you know, uh, and for years I would tell people I'm God's favorite and I would, wouldn't even debate about it, I mean, uh, with anyone because the way that he loves me and the way that he cared for me and the way that he provided for me and the way that he protected me made me feel like I was an only child and I was his favorite, the apple of his eye. And you couldn't convince me otherwise. Even to this day, you couldn't convince me of that. But I know that God makes you feel that way too. That's the amazing thing about the love of, love of God in our lives, is that God can make us as individuals feel like we're the only ones. Because when you are in the presence of God, you are the only one in his presence. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's wonderful. Uh, although there can be hundreds and thousands of people gathered, when you're before him, he only sees you. He has eyes for you only. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing? It's a wonderful thing to know that we're loved that much by God, that he, that he makes us feel that way. Now, favoritism can happen in, uh, and favoritism, let me just describe what favoritism is, um, um, is a practice of unfair favoring of one person or a group over others. Favoring someone can occur intentionally or unintentionally, and it's most often the result of biases that a person holds about others. Favoritism can happen in families, in the workplace, and even was found in the early church, which the apostle James wrote about in his epistle, James 2, 1 to 4. Now, the story of Peter preaching the gospel of Cordelius, a, ge a Gentile, is a turning point in the Bible. It was not customary for Jews to have Gentiles in their homes to preach to them, the gospel, uh, preach the gospel to them. But the reason for Peter's vision was because God wanted him to go forth and spread the word to those who were not Jewish. This would fulfill Jesus' command in Matthew, in which he instructed the apostles to preach to all nations. In the vision, God was telling Peter that he, was, he who is cleansed by God is no longer common or unclean, referring to Cornelius. Now, later, before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, Peter told the story again to that gathering of early church leaders, all of whom were Jewish. Peter said that God gave the Holy Spirit to these non-Jewish -Jew Gentiles in Caesarea, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith, Acts 15. Peter was basically saying that he, what he witnessed in the house of Cornelius was a second Pentecost. He said that the Spirit was upon them just like it was on us. Isn't that incredible? God was sh showing Peter and the Jewish followers at the time who were the predominant uh, uh, believers in Jesus Christ that this message, this good news that he had from the kingdom was not solely for them. It wasn't an exclusive thing for them. I, I came, Jesus came into the world because he loved the world. And all the nations and all the colors and all the cultures and all the tribes, God loved every single one. They were chosen to, be, to model what it was like to follow after a loving father. Not to think of themselves exclusive, but to think of it as a privilege and opportunity to be able to show the world what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow Torah, what it means to walk after the kingdom of God. Not to think of themselves more highly than others, but to think of themselves as just the first of many. Does this make sense? Okay, so, um, what we learn from this, what I learned from this, is that unity attracts heaven to earth. Uh, in the, on the day of Pentecost, as they were gathered together, the Word of God says that they were on one accord in one place, and that the Spirit came. In, in uh, this gathering, where they were all gathered in, um, in, in Cornelius' home, they were gathered listening, and as they were listening together as one Jew and Gentile, the Spirit came and baptized them. We see this pattern consistently through Scripture. In, in, when Solomon was uh, dedicating the temple um, that he had built for God's presence, the Word of God says when the musicians, the singers, the trumpeters, the, uh, the, the all uh, gathered together and were as one to make one sound, it says, as they did that, the glory of the Lord came in. And they were not able to minister because of the glory cloud that filled the space. Why? Because they gathered together in one place with one purpose on one accord. 
Isn't that powerful? So Pete, but I want to show you something that I think is the scriptures speak to us about here in this text that may have, you may have missed. In Acts 10, verses 1 to 3, and in also verses 9 to 12, we see something. I think those passages may come up on the screen for us, um, for us to read. And let me turn quickly to that and read those verses for us. So it, we're in, back in Acts 10, um, and in verses uh, 1 to 3, um, I'm going to read very quickly in verses 9 to 12. So this is what it says. At Sidereia, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in, that, in what was known as an Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him and said, what is it, Lord? Blah, blah, blah. Let's, let's move down to verse 9. And uh, uh, this is now Peter. He's back, he's, we're back in Joppa now. And after, about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meat was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something of a large sheep being let down to earth, right four corners. What are, the, what are the consistent things about those two passages that I can point out? Simple. Both Peter, the Jew, and Cornelius, the Gentile, had a vision from heaven. Both men, one a Jew, one a Gentile, both had a vision from heaven. What was God doing? God was saying, you need heaven's perspective on this thing right now. What you think and how you see, I need to change it. So what God did was brought them both to see from God's perspective what God wanted them to see. And so both of them got visions from heaven. Godly perspective was now on earth. God wanted to change the way that they saw and so gave them a vision from heaven so that they could see how God sees. How many people want to see how God sees? If we begin to see the way God sees one another, Unity will take place automatically. It will take place automatically. But we need to be willing, to be humble, to submit ourselves to what God wants to show us in order for us to be able to experience God's perspective. Now, in order for uh, us to be able to, uh, to get beyond our personal perceptions that have been shaped by our environment, by the media, by society, by culture, we need to see differently. We have to be willing to be humble humble ourselves in prayer and to be obedient to God's vision. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And how do you see? With your mind. Okay? Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. First Peter, in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10, uh, it says these words, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Today, most scholars understand First Peter to have been written to Gentile Christians. 
They do so primarily because of, uh, of 1 Peter 1, 18 and 4, 3, but also because of the regions Peter addresses were largely Gentile territory. This is the same guy who thought of himself and his people to be the chosen one, now is speaking to Gentile people and saying, you are chosen. How did he move from where he was to where now he's writing to Gentiles, calling them just as chosen as his people are? Because he was willing to submit himself to God's perspective. He humbled himself and said, God, if this is how you see this Italian man, this centurion, then I'm going to see him the way you see him. We may not be accustomed to you know, having people in our, in, our, in our friendship circles that don't look like us. But just because they don't look like you or sound like you doesn't mean that you, don't, you can't get to know them well. That they can't be best buddies with you. Doesn't mean that. But you've got to be willing to humble yourselves, to be willing to subject yourself to God's vision and God's perspective of those people. Now, the gospel destroys barriers that exist to separate us from one another. In order for us to fully embrace the gospel, we will need to learn how to truly accept others. I would like to uh, focus our attention now on a few points to bring my message to some conclusion. And if you turn your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 from verses 11 to 22, I'm going to read uh, we're going to read that together. I believe it's going to come on the screen. Uh, I'm going to draw my cl- final points from these passages. You ready? Yeah. Let's read. Therefore, remember that formerly you were who, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is such a powerful passage and I wish I had the time to unpack it in the detail that I would like but Paul here is distinguishing two kinds of people among the Ephesians Christians. Those of Jewish descent and those who are from other ethnic origins. God's plan has brought both groups together as one holy people. Doesn't matter what your background is, 
If you decide to give your life to Jesus and submit yourself to his sacrifice on the cross and say, Lord, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he rose again, he died for me on the, on, on the cross and he rose again for my, uh, for my redemption. If you decide to make that confession, guess what? You are seen as the same as those who are Jewish and born into that mandate. You are the, you're seen by God as the same. You are pulled in to one and become one body united with those who are near and those of us who are far away. He says we come, become one by the Spirit, by this wonderful, powerful um, uh, message that Jesus communicated when he gave his life on the cross and died. He, he, the, those wars that separated us, that divided us, Jew and Gentile, were completely obliterated by the cross. And now we have oneness in Christ. Isn't that powerful? So the blood of Jesus Christ has made it possible for us to have access, both you and me, both Jew and Gentile, to come boldly into the throne room of grace, to accept, receive the same mercy and grace in our times of need. The, 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 the thing that makes us common is the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not the color of my skin. I, I look different from you. I sound different from you. I'm better looking than you. I mean, it's not any of those things. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us one family. One family. And that's why we have a place at the table. We have a place at the table because Jesus made it possible for us to come. And we come boldly, we come courageously. We come not because we look differently or because we sound differently, but because we have something in common. And that something in common is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? So we're part of the same family. You and I are brothers and sisters united. Now unity is a state of, of being undivided or oneness. Now our triune God is a supreme example of unity. God is love and has forever existed in perfectly pure unity as Father, Son, and Spirit. We are here at CLM, our church of over 50 different nations, and God wants us to know that we all have a place at the table. A place at the table and this is my first point, we are, means that we are united with God. We just read from that passage, we are united with God. Place at the table means we are united with God. Those Gentile members of the church at Ephesus were without Christ and now in Christ Jesus. Formerly they were dead in trespass and sins and, now they, uh, and walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Now they are alive, quickened and raised and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, they were uh, far from God and now they were brought near by Jesus Christ. Far, 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 far away and brought near in Christ Jesus. Christ's position is one of nearness to God and he makes us near to God. He gives us our place in, in, in the citizenship, citizenship of God. We are now members of his kingdom and his family. Through the cross, Christ brought us into a loving union with God. This is the power of this principle. The principle is that we are all invited to the table because Jesus made it possible, those are dividing lines, for us to be brought together in oneness in God. That's the first thing that we need to understand about being invited to the table, is that actually the invitation is from God to you and to me. That's the first thing that we're invited into. Before we're invited into anything else, we're invited into oneness with God. The sin that separated us is no longer in existence because of the power of the cross. The thing that kept us apart from God doesn't is been conquered by Jesus Christ. 
who rose from the dead with all power and authority in his hand so that we can be reconciled to Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And now I can hang out with the Trinity because of the cross. I'm reconciled to God. This is, okay, I wish I could explain it to you more powerfully. But you have nearness to God now. In his presence there is fullness of joy. And that is right, that's a pleasure forevermore. You can draw near to God because of what Jesus did. We've got access into the throne room of grace because of the cross. This is an amazing testimony, an amazing opportunity for us to praise and celebrate the goodness of God. Number two, we are united with one another. Yeah? A place at the table means we are united with one another. We've been reconciled into one body. We're no longer strangers or outsiders and aliens. True Christianity transcends all the local cultural differences. It produces men and women who are friends with each other because they are friends with God. Because of our connection with God, because we share that relationship with God, we are now connected. We are now brothers and sisters. We are now blood, family. I know we don't, you don't look like me and I don't look like you in the flesh, but in the spirit, we look alike. Oh my God. Yeah. In the spirit, we look like we're related because we are. So in the physical, if, you, if we keep looking and observing one another by what we see with our natural eyes, you miss who that person really is. Because I'm not just physical being. Yeah, I'm a spirit being trying to master the human experience. So if you judge me by what you see on the outside, you've missed who I really am. I am more than what you see with my natural, on the outside. I am strong on the inside. I am big on the inside. I'm tall on the inside. Thank Jesus. I mean, yeah, on the inside, I look better than I do on the outside. Because our God works from the inside out. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Philippians 2, 1 to 2 says, Therefore, if any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from this love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Being of the same mind doesn't mean that we are to give up or erase our differences. Unity and sameness are not synonyms. Unity and sameness are not synonyms. We can have unity without being exactly like everyone else. Yeah, if you take an orchestra, it has many different instruments that look very differently and sound very differently. But when they come together under the conductor who has composed a piece of music and they're willing to submit themselves to that conductor and that piece of music, there's a beautiful sound that comes forth. Everyone has their own sound, but that sound is now under the guidance and the dominance of the conductor. The Holy Spirit is the conductor and he has composed a piece of music for us that's called unity and love. And if we're willing to submit ourselves to that piece of music, we can then make a beautiful sound that we, that we can create because we're willing to submit our, our individuality to God's supreme governance. We're different. I'm good with that. 
You don't look like me. So what? You don't sound like me. So what? The thing that makes the difference is who we've surrendered ourselves to, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what makes us. And, and we are making the same sound, a beautiful sound of oneness, of family. That's why I love this church. I love this church. I love this church. I love this church. I know you do. I know you. I know you do. You don't, got, you don't really have a choice, but I mean, I love... I love I love, I love you. Honestly, this church is amazing to me. And, and it's amazing because I look out and I, most Sundays when I'm here, I see the multicolored nation that is in front of me. And I see what God has done to weave and woven all of our hearts together in one place. And the love that we feel for one another is genuine. Truly, I mean, I, I, got, some, I, mean, I got some people in here that I know have got me. And they don't come from my background. They don't look like me, but they, I know they have me. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that bond, that unity, the accord comes from Jesus who creates that unity in our hearts, one for another. How many people in here can testify of that same truth? Yeah. We've got peoples, man. So even if you, can, you were a single child who were born in your natural family, you've got peoples now. Yeah. You've got peoples, you've got family. People that love you and care about you, and they're in this room. Amen? Now, I'd like to invite the band up right now as I close. The final point I want to bring is that we, but because we, uh, we have a place at the table means that we are united in one purpose. Ephesians 2, 21 to 22 says this, In him the whole building is, is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by spirit. The, the New Living Translation puts it this way, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, by your uh, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this, this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. In this, these verses, Paul says that this unity of Jew and Gentile built on Christ's saving work and his apostles' teaching is a single, is a single building built for un the unspeakable privilege of housing the presence of God. The ultimate purpose of why we're united together as one people in one place is so that you could be a house for the presence of God to fill. I'm going to say that again because I think you might have missed it. The, 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 the reason, the ultimate purpose of being invited to the table is not because you are different from someone else. It's not because of any other reason but this reason. We're being built by God, the great builder, you know, he's, a, he's the architect and the maker of us all. And he's building something. He's building a house for his presence to come and to fill. That's, that's the ultimate purpose of the invitation, is that I'm a part of something bigger than me. And that, that bigger part of me, if I surrender myself to the Christ and the work of what Christ wants to do in my life, I become a part of a building that the presence of God comes and fills. Why is that important? Because there's a, there are people out there who 
who don't yet know Jesus Christ, who need to experience the glory that we've experienced when we've given our lives to him. So God says, if you come together, if you can just unite together in heart and become one people and come on one accord, I will make of you a temple and my presence will come and fill it. And as a result of my presence in that space, it will be a witness to the world that Jesus was in fact Messiah. And that the salvation that he, he bought for us with his blood is for the entire world. But that witness comes, can, comes as a result of our unity with one another. Oh, okay. Let me say, let me say it the way Jesus says it in John um, 17. 20 to 21. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. Talking about those who are Jewish believers. I pray also for, also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are, in, I, you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The purpose of Christ coming and, and us being coming one is so that the world can know truly that Jesus came and was sent by the Father for the world. So the witness of the impact of bringing the gospel message further than this space into our community, into our spheres of influence, is, is, it's, it's hinged on us coming together as family. Truly coming together. And I mean not just coming together in this room once a week for a couple of hours. I'm talking about truly united. When we do that, when we truly operate as if you are my brother and my sister and you invite me around for dinner and I'm taking a list after church, every invitation, no, I'm joking, but, but I'm not really joking. But I mean, well, it, invite someone. Invite someone. Get to know someone. Why? Because we're a part of a process, a work that the Holy Spirit is doing to unite the church for the glory of the Father. So I know you can hang out with the people that you always hang out with, but you already know them. Why don't you try hanging out with someone else and get to know someone else? Maybe you'll discover a brother or a sister that actually is a really good friend to you in a time of need. If you give them a chance. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to pray. I know I've run over a little bit. I apologize for the time. But let me just say this. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to admit that you may be carrying some presumptions, prejudices, cultural biases, and even perhaps some fears about people who do not look or sound like you or maybe preventing you from reaching out to invite them to sit down with you at your table? Today, are you willing to submit to God's heavenly vision and to step across the cultural, racial, and social divide to truly get to know your brothers and sisters from another race, another culture, and another ethnicity. If you're willing to do that, let me see your hands. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. If you're willing to do that today, if you're willing to submit to the heavenly vision and say, hey, Lord, I know that I've looked at people differently and you know, I'm willing to come across that line and I'm willing to, to, to do something differently. So this is what we're going to do now as the band is going to go uh, lead us. I want you to find 
uh, two or three people that don't look like you. Yeah, yeah, you see? That's the practicality of the message. You're going to do that and you're going to pray for them. You're going to introduce yourself to them, say, hey, my name is, uh, and then you're going to uh, pray for them and they're going to pray for you. Pray that God will unite their, your hearts as one heart. Amen? So real quick, real quick, find two or three people, real quick. They don't look like you. so good amazing so good so good to see it let me pray with you father God we thank you for what you are doing in this house we thank you for united hearts and minds we thank you that we are one family in your name Lord we declare today that we're gonna make ourselves available available for you to do what you need to do in us so that we can truly be one family and be invited to sit at your table and feast with others that don't look like us or sound like us but we know we've been made one through the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.